0: off our Christmas series. We're doing a three-week series uh, as we lead into Christmas, which I'll tell you a little bit about uh, here in a minute, but I'm, I'm, I'm glad y'all are here, so, so thanks for joining us. Um, I, I also want to give you a little bit of a warning about this message. Um, it is, um, how should I put it? Uh, there's a lot here. All right, and, and we're going to dive into a passage that may be unfamiliar. Uh, part of it will be very familiar, but, but what's around it may be pretty unfamiliar. Um, and I want us to know that, I want you to know that it's unfamiliar probably to everybody in this room. So, so if you're like at a point, you're like, what is he talking about? Trust me, like I thought that as I studied it. So, um, uh, but I want to put a scenario in front of you. And tell me if this has ever happened to you because Christmas, right? But Thanksgiving, Christmas, the holidays—it is this time of like celebration and joy and and parties and festivities. But let me let me put a, a, a picture in front of you and, and tell me if you've ever felt this way before, right? It's, it's Thanksgiving, it's Christmas. You've got the tree up, the, the all the things are going, and you're scrolling through Facebook, Instagram, whatever, and you see a picture. You see a picture of a party where a lot of your friends are at, and you're not. Because either you didn't get invited, or you couldn't go, and you're not there. Or maybe family is gathered together, and you're not there. Either either you just couldn't make it, or you're the one they don't talk to anymore, right? Maybe, maybe, Maybe you're with a group of people in this time of festivities and celebration and parties, and yet, even though you're with a group of people, you feel alone, and you feel separate from them, even though it's a crowded room. See, here's the deal. Christmas, Christmas is a hard time to feel lonely, but it's actually a very common time to feel lonely. Um, I remember one Christmas morning... Um, this was uh, shortly after my father had passed away. It was just me and my mom. We were living in two different places, same city, but two different places. And I was going to spend Christmas Day with her later that day, but Christmas Eve and, and Christmas morning, I was by myself. I lived with four other guys. They all went home for the holidays. It, it was that. It's funny, it was that Christmas that I, I, I learned a trick about cleaning carpets. If you rent your own carpet cleaner, here's what I learned. If you rent the carpet cleaner the day before Christmas Eve, because stores close early on Christmas Eve, and so if you rent it like towards the end of the store day, the day before Christmas Eve, like say eight o'clock on the day before Christmas Eve, and you rent it for 24 hours, here's what happens. You don't have to return it on Christmas Eve because they're closed 24 hours later. You don't have to return it on Christmas Day because, of course, they closed. You have to return it that time the day after Christmas. So you rent that thing for 24 hours, and you get that joker for four days, (laughs) right? Now, here is the banner part of that Christmas is I got to clean the carpets of a house that five guys lived in on Christmas Eve. That's what I did. But I do remember you know cleaning the carpets and i remember sitting on the couch on christmas eve all alone and i just remember that feeling of of knowing that families were celebrating and people were celebrating mine was coming but it just wasn't then i remember sitting alone maybe your loneliness though cuz loneliness takes all different kinds of forms maybe your loneliness is a bit different this year maybe Maybe your loneliness isn't because you're alone. Maybe you're with family and you're with a crowd of people. But even in a room full of family, a, a, a crowd of people, maybe you're experiencing grief this holiday season. And your grief is so strong that you feel alone no matter who's around you. Like I said, my dad died right before Thanksgiving. It's about a week before Thanksgiving. He passed away. His funeral was literally just a few days before Thanksgiving, and it took years for a Thanksgiving to go by without me feeling the tangible like pain of grief. Maybe that's where you are. That You see, church, this season is a season to celebrate. It is a season to laugh. It's a season to experience joy and to relax and play. But here's something that we need to be aware of. And it's this, that that loneliness in all of its forms is is often a silent guest during the holiday season. Right? Thanksgiving, Christmas. Here's what I know. I know loneliness in, in one of its forms is here today in the lives of many of you. You know this. I know this. But here's the question. What do we do with it? Right? What do we do with loneliness when we feel it? What do we do when we feel lonely? What do we do when our grief outweighs our joy? During a time where everyone's telling us to be cheerful, like literally I remember, I remember getting this Christmas card uh, shortly after my dad had passed away. It wasn't, it wasn't like that Christmas, I think it was the next Christmas after because it wasn't that, that soon, but I remember the card saying, be cheerful. And I was still grieving, I was like, don't tell me what to do. Like, like, that's what grief does, right? It takes these, 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 these things of joy and these things of celebration, and, and, and they're just different during that time. So what do you do? What do you do when you experience grief? Maybe you felt this way. Maybe you will be alone at Christmas. What do you do? You can clean carpets. That's what you can do. But let me tell you another piece of advice. They get dirty again, Right? Trust me, what if there's something better than cleaning carpets when you feel alone? Well, today we're going to see what God has to say about about this silent guest of loneliness in all of its forms. Because what we're going to see actually is much better than cleaning carpets. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 7 and 8. Now, this is a big chunk of Scripture. It's, we're going to start in Isaiah chapter 7 verse 1 and go, ha, go a chunk into chapter 8. Part of this passage will look really familiar to you. If you have a Bible, you can open up there. If you don't have one, there's, there's one in front of you. It's on page 465 of that. Or you can also download the Bible app or under Events and under Fellowship Asheville. And we're calling this Christmas series True Story. And, and, and kind of the subtitle that I have in my mind is, is we're going to do three truths that we all need to believe this Christmas season. Right, and That's why it's true story. And a little true story about true story is if you know David Spray, he's spoken here a few times, spoken in Weaverville a few times. Uh, he also does woodwork. And on, we were actually going to call this series something else. And uh, he had posted this picture of this plaque that he made that looked just like this. And I say just like this because when I saw it, I thought, that's exactly what that fits this series so great. So I called him and I said, hey, can we steal your design? we did. It literally looks just like this. Um, uh, so if you see David Spray, thank him for inspiring uh, the title of this series because, because w- what we're going to do is we're going to look at things like loneliness and grief, things that we all experience, unmet, mes- unmet expectations, conflict, stuff that we all experience during the holidays. And in each one of those, we're going to see what God has to say about them. And in each one of them, there is this Christmas promise There is this promise that happens at Christmas that that applies to each one of those. And so so we're going to look at these three truths that we all need to believe this Christmas season. And today we're going to look at loneliness. Well, let me tell you what's happening around our passage in Isaiah. Because like I said, a couple of verses in this will look really familiar to you. Isaiah 7.14 is is like a a great Christmas verse because it captures the truth of the incarnation. Right? The incarnation is when it it describes the manger, when, when God became a baby in human form to save the world. That's what the incarnation is. But, but what we're going to see is we're going to look what's around this familiar passage, because that's important to see this in its context. Well, let me, let me read, read the passage to you, and, and, and it'll sound familiar. Isaiah 7.14 says this, says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel." Right? Anybody heard that verse before, particularly around this time of the year? Yeah, it's a very familiar Christmas verse. And it holds one of the truths of this series, Emmanuel, God with us. It holds this Christmas promise. But when we just look at that verse without looking at everything that's around it, that verse actually loses some power. Because here's why. That verse, we say it during Advent, we say it at church, and it's easy to think that when this verse was spoken, it was looking ahead to something, and we read it remembering something in the past. But what we're going to see is that this promise that was given was given to a particular people at a particular time. It was to inspire hope through Isaiah to this guy named Ahaz that I'm going to introduce you to. It was meant to inspire hope and faithfulness then. It wasn't just to look ahead to the coming Messiah. It was to make a difference then. And y'all, this is what this Christmas series is about. These Christmas promises aren't just to make us feel better, aren't just to say, oh, aren't we glad that Jesus came? It's to help us realize that, that Jesus came so that God can be with us today and tomorrow so that it makes a difference and inspires hope now. In us. Just like it was meant to do with Isaiah and Ahaz. And see, we're gonna look at this because when we understand God's word, we know how to apply it correctly. And to apply it this this, this correctly, we need to see what's around it. Now I'm gonna tell you, like I said, as we go through this, there's gonna be names that I can't pronounce, and I'm going to try. I'm going to give it my best shot, but I can't pronounce them. There's names that are unfamiliar to us. This is, there's history here that I'm going to unpack for us. And so, so I need you to know I'm not that smart. I have great study Bibles and great commentaries. And I need you to know that this is new territory for all of us. And so if you are here for the first time today and you think, man, this church goes deep. Well, one, we do. We do enjoy diving deep into God's Word. But two, just know this is new to all of us, right? So if you get lost, just keep holding on. I I tie the bow at the end, right? Well, let's dive in and see what what, what happens here in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 1. I'm going to introduce you to the first person. It says, "In in the days of Ahaz, son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah. All right, so it's our first person in this in this uh, history lesson of Israel's is Ahaz. Now Ahaz was a king of Judah, is what is what the scriptures tell us here. And, and Judah at this time, uh, because boundary lines moved throughout history and stuff, Judah uh, had the city of Jerusalem in its boundaries, right? And so, so, so this guy was the king of Jerusalem. He was the king of the, of the state, the nation that, that surrounded Jerusalem, of Judah. But, but let me tell you a little bit about Ahaz. Ahaz wasn't known for his faith in God. As a matter of fact, here's what Ahaz struggled with as he led this nation of God, is that he struggled with trusting people instead of trusting God. In particular, he trusted government more than he trusted God. He trusted in powerful armies. He trusted in might of his own hands, and might of nations instead of trusting God. And as, as, as our history lesson kind of unfolds today, you're going to see God tell Ahaz that God can be trusted that he can be trusted. And we'll see what happens as, as that goes on. But that's who Ahaz is. Let's, let's keep reading because there's some other guys here. So you have Razan, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramallah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem. So you have Ahaz that's in Jerusalem, and then you have these two other guys. You have, you have, you have Razan, Re- who's the king of a foreign nation, and you have Pekah, who is the king of Israel. Now, if you've been around the Bible for a while, you might be thinking, wait, there's a king of Israel and a king of Judah because Judah is one of the tribes of Israel, and so they should be all one, right? But in this history of the nation of Israel, they weren't one, they were divided. And that becomes very clear when we see what's happening next. So you got Ahaz, you got Raisin, and you've got Pekah. And the rest of verse 1 says, And and these two kings came to wage war against it, against Ahaz, but could not yet mount an attack. So, So here's what's happening. You've got Ahaz, the king of Judah. You've got these other two kings. One of them is the kings of Israel. And they're coming to Ahaz to attack him. And so what we're seeing here is that the nation of Israel is in the midst of a civil war. You have nation against nation when they should be united. Now, I, I, I highlight that because this is the holidays, right? And you're going to be spending time with family. Listen, any of your families involved in a civil war right now? Right? Or maybe a war that's not so civil, right? This is what families do sometimes, is they fight. And this is unfortunately where the family of God is right now, the, the, the nation of Israel that they are fighting with one another. And I'm telling you, if 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 you're in the middle of that civil war, it can feel very lonely. Let's look at verse two. It says, When the house of David was told, Syria, so this is when when Ahaz was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. So Ahaz hears that these armies are coming, they hear that they are coming to attack. And what is his response? Right? What do you think it means to shake like the trees in the wind? To fear, right? He is fearful because of these armies. Now notice who else is fearful in this passage. Not only is it Ahaz, but who else is fearful? His people. Are fearful. So not only is it him, the entire nation of, of Judah is scared. And I don't know if they can see the armies. I don't know if they, if, they, if they just heard that they're coming. But what I do know is that there is fear among the nation. And y'all, this is important because the opposite of faith is fear, right? Where fear is, faith isn't. Now, fear can be a springboard to faith. But where faith is, fear isn't. As a matter of fact, where, where fear is, Faith needs to be. And y'all, this is going to be what we see with Ahaz. Is, is he is fearful because his trust is in the wrong place. And Isaiah, who we're about to meet, is going to come to him and says, God says, trust in the Lord. He is with you. Because where fear is, faith needs to be. Verse 3, and the Lord said to Isaiah, there he is, There's our prophet. And what a prophet does is they speak the words of God to people. A prophet says, thus says the Lord. And we're going to see what God told Isaiah to tell Ahaz. It says, and the Lord said to Isaiah, go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shir Jethub, that's his son, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway of the washer's field, and say to him, be careful, be quiet, and do not fear. Do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands. And hold on to that image. I'll talk about that in a minute. At the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Remala, because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Remelah have devised evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and terrify it, and let us conquer it for ourselves, and set up the town of Tabil as king in the midst of it. So in other words, God tells Isaiah to go to Ahaz and tell him, Don't fear. And as a matter of fact, he he kind of breaks it down in, in in three things. He tells him, Be careful, be quiet and do not fear. Be careful, be quiet, and do not fear. Be careful. In other words, be on guard. Be on guard. Set boundaries where you need to set boundaries. Be on guard. Don't, it's, it's, it's like it's like God is speaking through Isaiah to tell Ahaz, listen, in the midst of your fear, don't do anything stupid. Right? And then he tells them, be quiet. Be quiet. Watch your words. Inspire people with faith, not fear. And if you can't watch your words, then don't say anything at all. Anybody need that when you go home with family? Just be quiet. I was talking to my counselor this week, one of my counselors this week. I've got multiple. Um, and, And... and uh, I was talking to him. I, I have this tendency that I want to defend myself. And I asked him, I said, when is it okay to defend yourself? And he said, mm, almost never. And I was like, that's got to be the wrong answer. <laughs> I said, what do you defend? And he said, you, you always defend God's word. If somebody is, is misrepresenting God's word, you, you defend that. But don't worry about defending yourself. Just be quiet. There's a Scottish toast that says this. It says, it says, and I love this. It says, be careful of the words you speak. Make sure they are true and sweet. For you never know which words one day you'll have to eat. All right? Even our Proverbs, this is one of my life verses actually. Proverbs seventeen twenty-eight. Even a fool is thought wise if he keeps silent and discerning if he holds his tongue. So be careful, be quiet, and then ultimately, and this is the theme with Ahaz, do not fear. Because God is on his side. Listen, if Isaiah is a prophet of God and he's saying, thus says the Lord, God says, Ahaz, do not fear. You know what God is asking Ahaz to do? Not fear, right? Now, in in our day, We don't have prophets that stand up and say, thus says the Lord. We've got the word of God. Do you know what the New Testament says about fear? It's shocking. It says, do not fear. We don't don't have to have a prophet tell us because we've got Jesus telling us, do not fear. Look at what else God has for Ahaz in verse 7. It says, "Thus says the Lord of God: It shall not stand, and it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is raisin. And within sixty-five years, Ephraim will be shattered from from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Ramallah. And if you are not firm in your faith, you will not be firm at all. In other words, in other words, God is saying, remember that, that image of a smoldering stump that he called these armies? He's saying, listen, those armies that are coming up against you, Ahaz, they think they are mighty oaks. They think they can't be stopped. But I'm telling you, God says they're already cut down. And not only are they cut down, they're already burning to the ground. They are done. The thing that you fear in God's eyes doesn't even exist anymore. And so the command to Ahaz is to stand firm, but there's also this this warning. Stand firm in your faith. Trust God, or you won't be firm at all. Look at verse 10. It says, again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask a sign of the Lord your God, and let, let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as the heaven's. This is interesting. Because here's what God tells Isaiah to tell Ahaz. God says, "Ahaz, test me. See if I'm faithful. Give me, ask me anything. That's what as low as Sheol or as high as heaven. On um, anywhere you can ask me and I will do it just to show you that you can trust me." It's one of the few times in Scripture that God says, test me. He also does it with, in, to, to, in the prophet Malachi to the, to the priest for them to, to, to test the people in giving of their tithes and incomes that God would provide. But he tells Ahaz, Ahaz to trust me that he can be trusted. Look, look at Ahaz's response because I love it. It sounds so holy and so good, but it's not. In verse 12, Ahaz says, I will not ask, and I Will not put the Lord to the test. Emphasis, I added. All right? Ahaz looks at this prophet of God who just said, God said, test him. And Ahaz says, Remember, Isaiah, we don't trust, the, we don't test the Lord. And it sounds so holy, right? It sounds so righteous, but God just told him to test me. And the reason Ahaz doesn't want to test God is because it'll expose his own heart. Because if God says, test me to see if I'm faithful, do you think God's going to show himself faithless? He's going to show himself faithful, which means Ahaz would have to stop fearing and have to start walking in faith. And Ahaz would have to stop putting his trust in armies and instead put his trust in God. And the problem with fear is sometimes, even though we know the bad consequences of it, even though we know it doesn't make sense, it's easier to hold on to fear than it is to hold on to faith. But God is saying, trust me, trust me. Because see, here's, here's what a test does, right? A test of God is designed to show you your faith, not God's faithfulness. God's always going to be faithful. God wants you to see where your faith is placed in something else other than him. That's what he's trying to do with Ahaz in church. Many of us are here. Our faith is in things that have nothing to do with God. We we, we put our faith in people, right? And if they like me, then I'm likable. That's what Ahaz did. We put our faith in people in that if I'm with him or if I'm with her, then I'm better. If this happens, whatever this is, then I'm better. If my bank account is full, then I can be secure. But y'all, what was true for Ahaz is true for us too. That God is saying he's the only one that can be trusted. Because bank accounts go up and they go down, don't they? Hopefully, they don't empty out, but sometimes they do. Friends come and go in our life. People disappoint us. We disappoint people. But God is always consistent. Look at verse 13. Where, is, where am I? Verse 13. And and this is Isaiah, and he, Isaiah said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary God also? In other words, God's going to give him a sign. God's going to call his bluff. Look at the sign. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. God with us. So, this promise that was given was to Ahaz, not just the nation of Israel waiting for a Messiah. This promise was given to him. And look how it unfolds, because it's not just left alone. Isaiah is going to describe what's what's around this promise. Look at verse 15. It says, He shall eat curds and honey, when he knows how to refuse evil and choose good. Now, in in the nation of Israel, there was this age of moral discretion is what it's called. When when a child would be held responsible for knowing what is right and knowing what is evil and knowing what is wrong. And and parents would, would teach their kids what is right and what is wrong. They would teach them the law of God so they would know what was right and what was wrong. Then at the age of 12, they were held responsible for knowing what was right and what was wrong. And the prophet is saying that this kid who's coming, who will be called Emmanuel, by the time he reaches that age of moral discrimination, around 12 years old, that kid will not only know what is right and what is wrong, but he will be known for knowing what is right and what is wrong. In him, the people will be able to look and see what is right and what is wrong with the nation, with themselves, with the world around them. And not only that, it says that he would eat, eat, he would eat curds and honey, and this is the food that nomadic people would eat because they, they didn't stay long enough to raise crops. They would, they, would, they would eat off the wild of the land. And, and, and so, so he's saying that this kid not only will know what is right and what is wrong, but that this, this kid will, will, will be walking in a land that's not actually his home. He will be a nomad. That the place where his feet walk won't be where his home is, but look what else will happen in verse 16. Verse 16, where am I? No. Yeah, 16 and 17. Uh, There we are. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the days that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. God is saying, listen, before this kid hits that age of 12, the armies that you're afraid of, the ones that are attacking, they're not going to exist anymore. Within 12 years, those armies will be done. And if you trust the Lord, your land will be like a land that you haven't experienced in a long time. But if Ahaz doesn't trust, look at what happens next. Verse 18. And that day the Lord will whistle. For the fly that is at the end of the streams of Egypt, and for the bee that is in the land of Assyria. And they will come and they will settle in the steep ravines, and in the cliffs, and the rocks, and on all the thorn bushes, and on all the pastures. And in that day, the Lord will shave with a razor that is hired from beyond the river, river with the king of Assyria, and the head of the hair of the feet, and it will be swept away, it will, it, it will sweep away the beard also. In that day, a man will keep alive a young cow and two sheep because of the abundance of milk that they give. He will eat curds, for everyone who is left in the land will eat curds and honey. And in that day, every place where there used to be a thousand vines with a thousand shekels of silver will become briars and thorns. Didn't that sound awesome? With bow and arrows, men will come come there, for all the land will be briars and thorns. And as for the hills that used to be hoed with a hoe, you will not come there for fear of briars of thorns. They will become a place where the cattle are let loose and where sheep tread. Merry Christmas. Put that verse on your Christmas card, right? (laughs) But here's what God's saying. Ahaz, if you trust in powers other than God, not only will destruction come, not only will God take care of those armies but destruction will come upon you as well. That the land that you rule over, instead of being a land of fertility and, and a land where, where there's pastures and livestock, it'll be a land of briars and thorns. Well, look at what else history begins to unfold. It's at verse 8. So, so, so the tension here is Ahaz trust God, Emmanuel, God with you. Or if you don't, destruction will come. Well, look at what happens in verse 8. Then the Lord said to me, Take a large tablet and write on it in common characters belonging to, so this is what he's writing on this tablet, belonging to Meher Shalel Hasabaz. And I will get reliable witnesses, Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son of Zebariah, to attest for me. All right? So here's what God tells Isaiah to do now. And he doesn't tell him why, but he says, do this. Get a couple of people that you can be trusted and that, tru- that the people trust. And I want you to take a tablet and I want you to write on it a name. So Isaiah does. He takes this tablet and writes a name on it. And he's got these reliable witnesses to see it. So if anybody says, oh, you did that after the fact. No, no, no. This was before. Now, here's why this is important. Look at verse 3. And I went to the prophetess and she conceived and bore a son. Then the Lord said to me, call his name, Mehir Shalal Hasbaz. For before the boy knows how to cry, my mother or my father, the wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be carried away before the king of Assyria. So here's what, here's what God tells Isaiah to do, is to write this name on a tablet. And then what Isaiah does is he's married, and he's, that's what prophetess is. It's his wife. He's a prophet. She's a prophetess. And they have a kid. And God says, name that kid. Let's just call him John Mayer, right? Because that's where it starts. You thought it. And Pika, how many of you thought Pikachu? Like, I, I get it. Right? But he says, name this kid this. And what this name means, here's what he named his kid. He named his kid quick to splund, quick to plunder and swift to spoil. Quick to plunder swift to spoil. Merry Christmas on that one, too. That makes a great Christmas card, doesn't it? Here's my kid's name, quick to plunder, swift to spoil. His name could have been Emmanuel, God with us. But Ahaz chose not to trust in God, and instead, this child was named quick to plunder and swift to spoil. Why is, why is it important? Because, see, Isaiah, and this is how we know that this is part of it, Isaiah's first wife died. He was a widower. He took on a young wife. And in, and in the Hebrew language, uh, of the name virgin also means young woman. It means a woman who hasn't been married before, a woman who hasn't been with a man before. And so Isaiah married a young woman. And that young woman had a child with him. That child could have been Emmanuel, because you know what happened before that child reached the age of 12 years? Those armies were destroyed. God did what he said he was going to do. The armies that Ahaz has faced, one of them was destroyed in 732 B.C. and the other 722 B.C. God is faithful. And if that part came true, guess what also comes true? Look at verse 5. The Lord spoke to me again because the people, because this people has refused the waters of Shiloh that flow gently and rejoice over Rezin, the son of Remalus so That's how we know that Isaiah, Isaiah uh, took alignment with these armies. Instead of, instead of fighting them, he created a political alliance with them, and he put his trust in this foreign army, in this foreign, in this foreign God, instead of the healing waters of Shiloh. The healing waters of Shiloh are this fountain in Jerusalem where people would gather around to be healed. And, and, and it's this picture of God's faithfulness that healing is there when we trust God. And it said that the healing waters of Shiloh, they flow freely, but but Ahaz didn't put his trust there. He rejected God's help. In verse 7 Therefore, behold, the Lord is bringing up against them the waters of the river, mighty and many, the king of Assyria, and all his glory. And it will rise over all its channels and go over all its banks, and it will sweep on into Judah. And it will overflow and pass on, reaching even to the neck, and its outspread wings will fill the breadth of the land. Oh, Emmanuel, oh, God with us. There is an army coming that is going to destroy Judah, that is going to destroy what Ahaz put his faith in. But God is telling them, remember, God is still with you. Be broken, you peoples, and be shattered. Give ear, all you far countries, and strap on your armor and be shattered. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. Speak a word, but it will not stand, for God is with us. And so if Ahaz would have trusted those healing waters, God is with them, but he didn't. He trusted in someone else. But, there is someone in this history lesson who did trust God. His name is Isaiah. Look at what God says to him. Verse 11. For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people. And so what God is doing now is he's speaking to Isaiah for Isaiah, not for anybody else. And he's saying in a world of faithless people, Isaiah, you be faithful. You stay faithful. You know what lonely feels like? This is what lonely feels like. Imagine being a prophet of God where where the leaders who are supposed to be the ones leading the nation to trust in God instead are trusting in other things, Where, where you are the lone voice telling people to trust in God. This is what loneliness feels like. It feels like when you go home to family, And and you trust Jesus, you walk with Jesus, and they just don't. And there is a difference there that can feel lonely. It's when your friends aren't walking with Jesus side by side with you. It can feel lonely. It's when your spouse isn't living out of faith, but living out of fear. And the faith that she once held or he once held so dearly, now they don't. And it can feel lonely in a marriage. Gosh, it's even when your friends head home for the holidays and you're here, it can feel lonely. This, this is where Isaiah is. This lone voice pointing people to a faithful, a faithful God. And look at, look at God's words to him in verse 12. So This is God saying, do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. And do not fear what they fear nor be in dread. In other words, don't watch the news. Right? Verse 13, "...but the Lord of hosts himself you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread, and he will become a sanctuary, a stone of offense which is a a protection for you, and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and many will stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken." they shall be snared and taken. In other words, the God that you fear is your sanctuary. He is your safe place. And so the command to Isaiah is to trust God. Do what Ahaz didn't. Don't trust in governments because God's the one that holds the governments in, in his hands. Proverbs 15 says, says that, that the Lord holds the king's heart in his hands and he directs it any way that he wants. You know, don't trust in governments. Trust in the one that holds all governments in his hands. In church, the command for us is this. In a world of Ahaz's, in a world of of people that don't have a faith in God, be in Isaiah. Be the one who has faith that God can be trusted. Be the faithful among the faithless. Why do we get to do that? Because the healing waters of Shiloh are fully available to you because we know who the ultimate fulfillment of this prophecy was. We know it's not just about a little kid named Mayer, right, who could have been called Emmanuel. We know it's about another child that was born, who was also born of a virgin, but not just a woman who hadn't been married before. He was born to a woman who had never been with a man before and yet had a baby. And we know that this baby was a nomad, that the the, the land that was under his feet as he walked was not his home. As a matter of fact, the New Testament says, the, the Bible says that he didn't even have a place to rest his head because it wasn't home. In him, we see what is right and what is wrong. As a matter of fact, about the age of this moral discrimination, Our Jesus was in the temple teaching the rabbis what is right and what is wrong. And as a child, they had never heard anybody teach like him. You see, we know he is the one that that when our faith and our trust is placed in him, our enemies are destroyed. Our enemies of fear and anxiety are destroyed. We know that in him we find peace. In him, because of the death and resurrection, we know that he is our Emmanuel. He is God with us. In him, our fear is turned to faith. And so church, do you need God with you today? Let me ask you, do you need God with you this Christmas? When you're around family, when you're around friends, when you're just doing the busyness that this season is, do you need God with you? You see, he is ready. He is our healing waters of Shiloh, ever-flowing. He is ready and has always been. And let me tell you what this looks like when you're lonely or when you're grieving this holiday season. This is our first truth of Christmas, and it is Emmanuel. Emmanuel. That in Jesus, you are never alone. In Jesus, you are never alone. When you feel alone, you are never alone. He is there. He is there to walk with you in your grief, He is here. Even Jesus' words from John 14.6 says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor who will be with you when? Forever. He'll be with you when? Forever. You are not alone. Church, say it with me. I am not alone. I am not alone. So let me ask you, in your fear, are you alone I am not alone, all right? Let's practice. In your fear, are you alone? I'm not alone. In your grief, are you alone? I'm not alone. Emmanuel, God with us. Church, God is with you. He is with us, and if you, have become, if, if you don't know Jesus and let today be the day that you say yes to him, And experience this relationship with God where you can know and trust that you are never alone. And if you have said yes to him, then today, let today be the day that you put fear to death. And God's loving presence is accepted in every area of your life. I was once asked a powerful question that I'm going to ask you to consider with this truth. What would your life look like without fear? In the midst of loneliness, in the midst of grief, what would your life look like without fear? Can I tell you what it could look like? It could look like you realize you really are never alone. So you can be with God even in the midst of your loneliness, even in the midst of your grief. And I tell you, sometimes loneliness is this great gift because it forces you to be alone with God. You're never alone. So not only can you be with God, you can be with God's people right? Without fear, you can be the one that tells people what you need, that, that you, you can be the inviter. I remember when my father died, um, my best friend at the time, his father died his freshman year in college. My father died my senior year in college. And so, so he was actually able to help me navigate what it means to, to have your father die and to, and to walk through that. And one of the things he said, like, at the hospital, My mom and I hadn't even left the hospital yet, and he said, tell people what you need. And and, and this waiting room was literally full of people that had heard that my dad had passed away, and and I said, here's what I need. I need people to come over to my house because I don't want to be alone, but I need you to not say a word when you're there. I can't imagine how awkward that was for them. I had 20 people sitting in my living room, not saying a word, just being there. Y'all, even in the midst of loneliness, in the midst of grief, tell people what you need. And in the midst of loneliness, in the midst of grief, not only can you be with God, not only can you be with his people, but you can still be used by God in mighty ways. The Holy Spirit has given you spiritual gifts, gifts of encouragement, of teaching, of serving, of administration, of all those gifts outlined in the Bible. And you can use those in the midst of your loneliness, in the midst of your grief, and it helps. And so keep doing that because church, you are never alone. God is with you. And if you are a follower of Jesus, you are never alone. Let's pray. Jesus, Um, I pray for us as a congregation that we believe this truth. When we feel alone, even if we're in a crowded room, that we will realize we are never alone, that you are always with us, always have been, always will be. And Father, may we embrace your presence in those moments. May you bring us comfort when we need it. May you bring us healing when we need it. May you bring us encouragement when you need it. May may we see your love and your mercy in those moments where we are grieving and lonely. And Father, may you be exalted in all of it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.